So I thought this is a very good um, answer. I thought you covered a huge amount and you, first of all, clearly recognised the implications this has for the patient. And you also, what's really nice is that you recognise how much of a difficult conversation this will be. And that, to me, as an examiner, shows me that you've got some experience of clinic and explain difficult diagnoses and you do appreciate that this isn't just something you can just go quickly and rattle through it's a, a real real difficult nuanced thing uh where it's not just you as a registrar giving this kind of news it'll be you with the support of your consultants plus minus any uh specialist nurses uh that are around and the other final thing with regards to the support the, the support that you sought was the fact that at the end of your question, you did talk about making sure there was adequate follow-up and the patient had a chance to ask questions and the patient, you know, you knew exactly when the follow-up was going to be because those are all really nice and important things to be doing for a case such as this. It wouldn't necessarily be what you do for every one of your patients, but for a patient where they're going to probably need a few consultations over a short period of time to reiterate, reiterate things and go through things, uh, this is absolutely uh, a really good approach. Um, I thought what was nice here is that you recognise that regardless of whether this patient chose to have an ICD or not, the advice regarding driving would be the same. He's had an incapacitating uh, ventricular arrhythmia mandating an ICD. So for his group two licence, that would mean that he cannot drive uh, and help continue to hold a group two licence. You recognise the situation was different for a group one licence uh, and that was that was good. Uh, and it's very important to know and know and mention in these ethical scenarios when you're talking about driving uh, and cardiological problems, there's a very big difference between the barriers to driving in group one license versus group two. Um, I think the other things, the other aspect that I really enjoyed here was the fact that you knew your um, ethical pillars. And again, you mentioned them and in a slightly different way to the previous question where you actually incorporated them and talked about how, how difficult ethical pillars can clash. So you talked here about the patient autonomy and right uh, to do what they want uh, with, their own, uh, with their own lives and their own health, but versus the principle of justice and what you as a doctor need to do and your responsibility to patients and others. And that was really nice to be brought out. Um, in terms of critiquing, critiquing your answer and things that could be improved, I thought that fantastic, probably first two thirds of the answer, I thought the last third of the answer was essentially just a rehash of what you'd said before. So I think do practice on making sure that you get the answers up quickly, front load the important points, which you did do, and then perhaps just give yourself a quick one sentence summary, but not a summary where you just say what you have said. Um, I think if I'm the key things are, I think, that you talked about type one versus type, type uh, group one versus group two license. But again, if I just share screen here. Um, so I think you talked about a, a group two license, a group one license, and there being a difference to the length of time you can't drive after an ICD has been implanted versus if they hadn't. Um, and I think you talked about six months, whereas actually for arrhythmias, if you've had it, including narrow broad complex tachycardia, which this gentleman has had, he's had non-sustained VT uh, on his um, 24 hour tape and syncope, which you have to presume is due to an episode of VT given his diagnosis of hokum. Um, 
that for a group one license, it's actually if the arrhythmia is controlled for at least four weeks. And then it actually gets into quite a nuanced discussion about what is control of VT. I think one argument would be to say that controlling VT is done with medications that you'd use in HOCAM, so that's their beta blockers. The other would be talking about an ICD and the ICD and the ATP therapy being control of VT. But in all honesty, the most important thing to get across in this ethical scenario, if you even know that there's a difference between arrhythmia that's being controlled for four weeks versus um, a, an arrhythmia that you've had an ICD implanted for, you're already a whole heap better than a lot of, a lot of us cardiology registrars, uh, as well as I'm sure a few consultants. So you're, from a knowledge point of view, you've already done what you need to do. Um, you don't need to tie yourself to a wall or know yourself to a wall and say it's exactly this. Um, and the final icing on the cake, um, which I thought of, if you're talking about DVLA guidance um, and what are the important factors and points, a key word that keeps and continues to come up in DVLA guidance uh, and is really key to your decision making is whether this arrhythmia caused incapacity. And that's the word that when someone says to you, oh, yeah, that's definitely from the DVLA guidelines. So the word incapacity, if you can put that into your answer, uh, it shows that you have very good knowledge of the DVLA guidelines and what is the key thing to think about when you're taking a history from the patient. Did this cause incapacity? So if you were to tell me, well, this patient has had syncope, so he's had uh, an episode that has caused incapacity, which is likely due to a ventricular arrhythmia, you've really hit the bonus, bonus, bonus points in this question. Um, but in general, the most important things here would get across the gentle approach, the fact that it's going to be a huge amount to, to impart to the patient in a short period of time, and then the bonus points were just regarding uh, the things we discussed. So well done.